0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Grace Bible Church presents 1450 podcast. I'm your host, Craig Gardner, and we're glad that you're here joining us on this Easter holiday today. The holiday this year has a very different feeling than previous years due to the fears and restrictions following the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. There have been cancellations of events, closures of all types of businesses and churches, including our very own many people have lost their jobs and in turn their health care due to this outbreak this virus has affected everyone in the world in one form or another it has not only had physical effects but also huge financial and economic impacts as well we must all take caution and respect what we must do as human beings to get past this illness but we can take solace and comfort knowing that we have a living god who is in control We have a merciful and loving God that sent His only begotten Son to die, be buried, and rise again after three days, all according to the Scriptures, and to save us from our sin nature, our old man. What grace, what joy we have in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What fantastic things must our Lord be planning. This year, since we cannot meet with each other in person, I decided that we should have our worship and fellowship together through technology. I wanted to bring a few devotionals with some acoustic songs along the way. And thanks be to God for this ability to stay in touch and to keep the Word of God out there to help believers and non-believers alike. Once again, we are glad you are joining us today. And let's go ahead and get started and let's focus our attention this Easter holiday on the message of the cross. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, First Corinthians 1 verse 18. The cross is almost universally recognized as a symbol of Christianity, yet few people understand its true significance. When Paul speaks of the message of the cross, he' is not concerned with the cross as an object or symbol, nor is he concerned with merely the historical facts of Christ's crucifixion. The Greek word for message is logos, which is most often translated word. A word is used to express or convey a thought, idea, or concept. For example, the Lord Jesus Christ is referred to as the word in John chapter 1, because he is the expression of God. We read in John 1.18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him or led him forth so he could be seen. Jesus told his disciples, "He who has seen me has seen the Father." John 14:9. The message or word of the cross refers to the meaning or significance of Christ's death on Calvary. While the figure of a cross might symbolize Christianity to the world, most people have never trusted in Jesus Christ as savior. They are perishing, which means they are spiritually lost, separated from God because of their sins. To them, the message of the cross is foolishness it makes no sense, has no real meaning. Whereas to those who have placed their faith in Christ and his finished work on Calvary, the message of the cross is the power of God to save them from their sins. What is the message of the cross? In 1 Corinthians 1, 23-24, Paul addresses three key aspects of the cross which we need to consider if we are to understand its true meaning. But we preach Christ crucified, To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Paul's opening words are, we preach Christ crucified. The first area of consideration is Christ. The person on the cross. When Jesus entered the area of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? They answered him, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Most people today would respond much like the Jews of Jesus' day. They might acknowledge Jesus as a great teacher, a religious leader, even a prophet of God, but in their minds he was still just a man. As we contemplate the person on the cross, it is vital that we understand. Jesus was so much more than this. He was, as Simon Peter boldly declared, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus is the Christ, Israel's promised Messiah, anointed by God to sit upon the throne of his father David. What the Jews did not seem to understand was that the Christ, who was prophesied throughout the Old Testament scriptures, is also the very God of glory. The week before he was crucified, Jesus asked the Pharisees a question which proved this very point. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 41 through 46, it says, While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How then does David in the Spirit call him Lord? Saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. The scriptures clearly teach the deity of Jesus Christ. There are many declarations of this fact throughout the scriptures. There are hundreds of Old Testament prophecies which were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. On two separate occasions, the father testified of Jesus saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus himself asserted his deity on numerous occasions. He also demonstrated he was God through his wisdom and knowledge, even at 12 years of age. The many miracles, wonders, and signs Jesus performed were clearly things that only God had the power to do, calming the winds and the sea with his command, healing all manner of sickness and infirmity, feeding 5,000 families with a young boy's lunch, even raising the dead, including Lazarus, a man who had been dead for four days. Jesus' perfect sinless life is amazing proof that he was truly Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Jesus' unique birth, being born of the Virgin Mary, also confirms he was the Son of God. His birth is often referred to as the Incarnation because Jesus, the Eternal Word of God, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Why is the deity of Jesus so important? Why is this truth such a vital part of the message of the cross? The answer can be found by considering Jesus' purpose for coming into this world. Jesus did not come just to be a great teacher, though he was the greatest teacher who ever lived. Jesus did not come just to help people by healing their diseases and casting out demons, though he certainly did so. Jesus did not come just to provide a great example of how to live, though his life, in many respects, provides a wonderful example of how we should live. God the Son took upon himself a body of flesh and became a man so he could die, specifically so he could die for our sins. All of us have sinned, therefore we fall short of the glory of a holy and righteous God. In his judgment, God declares the payment that must be made for our sins is death, For without shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness of sins. The Old Testament sacrifices pictured God's requirement for an acceptable substitute for sin, an animal such as a lamb, goat, ram, or bull, that was without blemish. Yet those animal sacrifices could only cover sins temporarily. They could never take away sins completely. A better sacrifice was needed, but the offering had to be without blemish or sinless. Only God is sinless, so only God was qualified to offer himself as a sacrifice for the sins of man. But God is a spirit and has no blood to shed. This is why God the Son became flesh, so he could shed his blood and die on the cross as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. John the Baptist declared him to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Peter described the wonderful work of the Lord Jesus accomplished on the cross for us with these words. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. 1 Peter 3.18 Christ was willing to suffer the death of the cross because it was the only way he could bring us to God. He has reconciled us to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. If Jesus was just a man like you or I, His death on the cross would have had no power to reconcile us to God. The message of the cross is not a religion. It is not a creed or a doctrinal statement. It is not a philosophy or a system of works. The message of the cross begins with the person who died on that cross, the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm The message of the cross refers not just to the symbol of a cross, or even to the historical facts of Jesus' death, but to the meaning and significance of the cross on which Jesus died. Three key aspects need to be considered in order to understand the true meaning of the cross. We looked at the first of these considerations, the person on the cross. While the world considers Jesus of Nazareth to be merely a man, The scriptures plainly declare and give overwhelming proof that he is exactly what Simon Peter boldly declared of him, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It is vital to see that the person who died on the cross was very God himself, who became flesh and dwelt among us, that he might shed his blood for our sins. In this issue, we consider the second important aspect of the message of the cross, the price of the cross. Imagine what it would be like to know exactly when and how you would die. From a human standpoint, such knowledge could be quite distressing. The Lord Jesus spoke of how this knowledge of his own death distressed his soul. In Luke twelve forty-nine and 50, it says, I came to send fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. Jesus would send fire on the earth through his death. It was also his death he had reference to when he said, I have a baptism to be baptized with. Many people think baptism always refers to a water ritual, but its basic meaning is identification. Jesus was to be identified with our sins when he went to the cross. Jesus spoke of the deep distress his impending death caused him, and expressed his heartfelt wish that it were already accomplished. After making his triumphal entry into Jerusalem the week before his crucifixion, Jesus uttered these words, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. John 12:27. What was so distressing and troubling to Jesus' very soul? It was not just the prospect of physical death, but the death of the cross. Philippians 2, eight distinguishes between these two things. When Jesus left the glory of heaven to become a man, he became obedient to the point of death, i.e., physical death. But this verse goes on to say even the death of the cross. There is a death, and then there is a death of the cross. They are not the same thing. Jesus' death on the cross meant terrible sufferings for him on several different levels physical sufferings the physical sufferings jesus endured were as harsh as those any man has ever experienced he was struck about the head with a reed or rod he was scourged or whipped until his back was terribly lacerated he had a crown of thorns pushed onto his head his hands and feet were nailed to a cross and he was left hanging there to die a slow painful death one of the cruelest forms of capital punishment ever devised Jesus endured through all these sufferings for the joy that was set before him, as it says in Hebrews 12.2. Public shame. The public shame Jesus was put through was an extremely humiliating experience. During his trials, Jesus was slapped and spit on by the Jewish rulers. The soldiers put a purple robe on him, placed a reed in his hand, and mocked him, saying, Hail the King of the Jews! He was paraded before King Herod, who questioned Jesus and heard numerous accusations about him from the Jewish rulers. When Jesus refused to answer, Herod and his soldiers treated Jesus with contempt and mocked him. When he was delivered to the Roman centurion to be crucified, Jesus was led through the crowded streets of Jerusalem to the place of his crucifixion, being forced to carry his own cross it must be remembered that crucifixion was a punishment reserved for the worst of criminals. He was crucified alongside two thieves, wicked men who were deserving of this type of death. As he hung on the cross, Jesus endured repeated blasphemy and taunts from the Jewish rulers who cried out, If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Yet when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Personal Sorrow Jesus also suffered tremendous personal sorrow throughout this ordeal. Consider how Jesus must have felt when Judas Iscariot, his own familiar friend, betrayed him with a kiss into the hands of the Jewish rulers, when all of the disciples forsook him and fled after his arrest in Gethsemane, when Simon Peter denied three times even knowing who Jesus was, When his own people referred to have Pilate release Barabbas, a notorious murderer and rebel instead of him, and then cried out for Jesus to be crucified. He came into his own, the very ones he had created, and they did not receive him. How this must have deeply hurt Jesus on a personal level. Yet as Jesus anticipated these sufferings he must soon undergo, they were not the real reason for his great distress. Jesus' soul was troubled, knowing he would soon face a period of silence. After Jesus had hung on the cross from nine in the morning until noon, Matthew described what followed. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew 27:45-46 During this 3-hour period, Jesus endured an unbearable period of silence, silence from his Father. There was no communion with him, no help from him, no comfort from him, no strength from him. The Father had utterly forsaken his son, abandoning him completely. During the early hours of his crucifixion, Jesus prayed, calling God, "Father, but during that period of darkness, Jesus could only cry out to him, My God, my God, asking the piercing question, Why? Being very God, Jesus certainly knew why the Father had forsaken him. His cry of despair in the form of a question shows how painful the anguish was he felt at the time. The 22nd Psalm prophesied of the anguish Jesus would experience hanging on the cross. My God, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me, and from the words of my groaning? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and am not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel, our fathers trusted in you, they trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you, and were delivered, they trusted in you, and were not ashamed. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. Psalms 22, 1-6 This passage gives us a little more insight into the pain Jesus experienced as his Father forsook him, and it answers a question Jesus asked from the cross, Why? Why have you forsaken me? Christ declared to God the Father, You are holy, but I am a worm. Verses 3 and 6 A holy God had to turn His back on His Son, because during those three hours of darkness, Jesus bore our sins in His own body on the tree. The one who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Christ became a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. God's full wrath and judgment were poured out on His beloved Son while He bore our sins on that cross. The Lord Jesus not only shed his blood and died physically, he also died spiritually, being separated from God the Father because of our sins. What a tremendous price Jesus paid for us on the cross of Calvary! We cannot even begin to imagine how painful it was for our Savior to endure the death of the cross, but it is important we understand the reason for his sufferings. The gospel message is not simply that Christ died, was buried, and rose again, but that he died for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world.
1: One day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was
0: death on the cross is the greatest event in human history. By sending His Son into the world to die on Calvary for our sins, God made it possible for sinful men to be reconciled to Him through faith in the simple message of Christ and Him crucified. Jesus' death opened the way for all men to be saved from their sins and receive the gift of eternal life. Why then do so many people refuse to receive this wonderful gift? We find the answer to this question by examining the third aspect of the message of the cross, the product of the cross. The night Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the heavenly host praised his coming as a time of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. But Jesus later declared his coming would result in very different conditions. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For from now on... Five in one house will be divided, three against two, and two against three. Father will be divided against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Luke 12:51 51-53. What would divide people, even families, in this way? The cross of Christ. The cross has split the world in two. Those who believe in Christ and Him crucified are saved, while those who reject Christ are perishing. The problem is not people's sins. Jesus settled that matter on Calvary, where He died for the sins of the whole world. The issue that divides people is their response to the message of the cross. Those who believe in Christ and Him crucified are saved from sin's judgment and brought into a relationship with God. Those who reject Christ and His cross are remain in their sins separated from God. The question which puzzles believers is why so many people reject the Lord Jesus Christ and the wonderful gift of eternal life he provided at Calvary. Paul identifies two classes of men who reject the message of the cross. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. 1 Corinthians 1:22 The Greeks were lovers of wisdom, not the wisdom of God, but the wisdom of man. With their emphasis on wisdom, the Greeks produced what the world still considers some of the greatest philosophers, scientists, mathematicians, politicians, historians, etc., who ever lived. Yet their pursuit of such human wisdom led them away from the one true God. This has always been the case. In his letter to the Romans, Paul described how the Gentile nations, prior to the time of Abraham, followed this same path. Romans one through 22-25 says, Although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise. They became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature, rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Just as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.21, the world through wisdom did not know God. It was true then, and it's still true today. The same types of people exist today, scientists, philosophers, educators, politicians, artists, businessmen, etc., so-called intellectuals who glorify education, knowledge, and worldly wisdom above all else, particularly above the knowledge of the wisdom of God. Their philosophy is called humanism, a belief in the basic goodness of human beings and their inborn ability to pursue truth and morality through rational thought without the need for God. Those who subscribe to this philosophy consider the message of the cross to be foolishness. It goes against everything they believe. The cross forces them to acknowledge that they are not basically good, but sinful and evil, that they are powerless to change their lives for the better, and that they must trust in God and the sacrificial death of His Son to find the true meaning in their lives. While it appears foolish to the world, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. God has declared in His word, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? 1 Corinthians 1, 19-20 Paul warned the Colossians not to get carried away by such empty and deceitful philosophies and traditions, ideas that spring from the imaginations of sinful men and are not according to Christ. The Jews needed to see outward signs. They demanded proof before they would believe. The Jewish religious leaders told Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. The word want is a Greek word for will and implies they had determined they must have a sign before they would believe him. Jesus had already performed a number of amazing miracles, healing the lame, giving sight to the blind, cleansing the lepers, casting out demons, etc. Yet, although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe him. So when they demanded a sign from Jesus, he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. Matthew 12, 39-41 Even after Jesus arose after three days and nights in the grave, the Jews still did not believe him. Why not? Why did they reject Christ and him crucified? Israel's problem was the attitude they had developed regarding the Mosaic Law. God placed Israel under the law after their exodus from Egypt. The law governed every aspect of their life, morally, socially, and religiously. By the time Jesus came, the Jews' religion had been in place for about 1,500 years. Over these years, the meaning and purpose of the law was gradually corrupted. The people became more concerned with their religious traditions, their interpretations of the law, than with the commandments of God. The service of the priests, the offerings, and the feasts became little more than meaningless rituals. The hearts of the people moved farther and farther from the Lord. The Jews who were God's chosen people became filled with pride because of their unique relationship with God. They began to look at the works of the law, or their traditions, as a means of establishing their own righteousness. Paul acknowledged Israel had a zeal for God, but it was not according to the knowledge found in God's word. It says in Romans 10, verses 1-5, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. The message of the cross was a stumbling block to the Jews. It offended them. Yes, they were looking for a Messiah to come and save them, but not from their sins. They were looking for a Messiah to deliver them from their enemies, the Romans. The Messiah they envisioned would be a powerful political leader. Jesus was not what they were expecting at all. Born to a poor family, raised in the small village of Nazareth, meek and humble in manner, teaching things most people did not understand, challenging the authority of Jewish leaders, and indicting them as sinners. This was not their idea of a Savior. Today, many people are much like the Jews of Jesus' day. They too are religious, and while they may not practice Judaism, they still focus on the outward show, the religious ritual. Paul describes them as having a form of godliness but denying its power, And he warns us from such turn away. The power they deny is the power of the cross, the power of the message of Christ and Him crucified. Their religion is that of legalism, a belief in man's ability to save himself through religious works, going through rituals, submitting to ordinances, memorizing creeds, keeping the law, joining the church, etc., in order to make themselves righteous. To those who depend on their religion with its system of works, the message of the cross is a stumbling block. They are offended at the idea that they have nothing to offer to God, and that their works are powerless to save them. Like Cain who offered the works of his own hands to try and please God, the legalist rejects the notion that Christ's death and resurrection is not only necessary, but also sufficient to bring us to God. The one who died to be their Savior becomes, to them, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble and are offended because they are disobedient to the word. God's word says, A man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we, Jews, have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law, For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Galatians 2.16 What about you? How do you respond to the message of the cross? Are you like the Greeks seeking to find fulfillment in life through the wisdom of this world? Or are you like the Jews, depending on your religion and your good works to attain a righteous standing with God? While the majority of the people in the world Rely on their own wisdom or their own works to give meaning to their lives. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians one twenty-four through 24-24 True wisdom for salvation is not found in human reasoning, but in the message of Christ and Him crucified. True power to save from sins is not found in human religious works, but in the message of Christ and Him crucified. This is the wonderful message of the cross. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John 3:16 16-18
1: My orphan heart was given a name My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance When death was arrested and my life began
0: Person who steps into church is to varying degrees a sufferer. It's part of the human condition. While it's good that we sing songs about joy and victory in Christ, we misportray the Christian life if we never sing about suffering, and even risk alienating sufferers from our midst. That's why songs like this next one, "Man of Sorrows," are so refreshing. They provide a time to reflect on and to worship our suffering Savior, and there find solace. In the very least, they help strip away the shame of suffering, because if our Lord suffered with dignity and purpose, so can we. Man of sorrows is more than a name we ascribe to Jesus. It's a biblical description given to him in Isaiah, foreshadowing the shape his life would take. Though he abided in the joy of the Father, He, by the very nature of his divinity, suffered in even coming to earth, let alone dying on the cross. Isaiah 53, the most direct Old Testament prophecy about Christ's atonement, reflects upon the scope of his sorrow, his rejection in life and especially in death. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. Isaiah 53, verse 3-6 through Man of sorrows beautifully renders these divine words into verse. Man of sorrows, Lamb of God, by his own betrayed. The sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus laid. Silent as he stood accused, beaten, mocked, and scorned. Bowing to the Father's will, he took a crown of thorns. What a comfort that our Lord knows what it is to suffer. He was fully human and suffered as we do, but at a far greater level because the full consequence of our sin fell upon Him at Calvary. As if the gift of atonement was not enough, God also gives us the gift of a Savior who sympathizes with our weakness and suffering. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help him in time of need. Hebrews 4:14 14-16 Hebrews 4 welcomes us to suffer before the Lord. We do not have to hide our suffering and pain, because we have a Lord who knows suffering and pain beyond what we could ever imagine. Man of sorrows unabashedly recounts his suffering while still acknowledging that his suffering is not the end of the story. Now my debt is paid, it is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me, whom the Son sets free, oh, is free indeed. Suffering was not the end for Christ, nor is it the end for us. Our hope in suffering is provided by His power over suffering, for He rose to glory. What a relief to reflect on the suffering of Christ for us, a profound, immeasurable gift. Regardless of how stormy or placid the waters of our lives at the moment, Jesus died, was buried, and rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, all for us, bears our griefs, and carries our sorrows. He Himself is our peace and healing.
1: by Jesus spill now the curse of sin has no hold on me whom the sun
0: Hundreds of Old Testament prophecies concerning Israel's promised Messiah were fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. The people were astonished at Jesus' teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. It was unlike anything that they had ever heard. The people were also amazed at the miraculous things that he did, healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, casting out demons, even raising the dead. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe him. In fact, the Jewish leaders, particularly some of the scribes and Pharisees, responded to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. We read earlier that Jesus answered them and said, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Here was to be the most striking proof concerning the Christ, his resurrection from the dead. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the Romans, said that Jesus Christ was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Romans one four. What was so special about Jesus' resurrection? After all, he wasn't the first person to be raised from the dead. Both Elijah and Elijah raised people from the dead in the Old Testament, and Jesus himself raised others from the dead, including Jairus's daughter and Lazarus. While Jesus was not the first person to be raised from the dead, his own resurrection went far beyond these others. To begin with, Jesus' resurrection was prophes- prophesied in the Old Testament. Psalm 16:8 8-11 says, I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life in your presence's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Jesus foretold his own resurrection, even specifying on which day he would be raised. Jesus had the power to raise himself from the dead, something the others clearly did not have. He declared in John 10, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. The others who were raised from the dead all died again physically, while Jesus was raised unto eternal life. Romans 6, 9-10 says, Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him, For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Finally, Jesus was the only sinless person to die and raise again. Thus, he alone could die for the sins of the world. The resurrection of Jesus Christ provided a great victory for man victory over sin's penalty, bringing justification, victory over sin's power, bringing sanctification, victory over Satan, resulting in redemption. And finally, victory over death itself, resulting in eternal life with Him. What tremendous power, this power of Christ's resurrection toward us who believe. Ephesians 1, 19-21 says, And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Yet, even this, the resurrection of Christ, was not enough for most people to believe in him. We read in Acts 1 3 that the Lord Jesus presented himself alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs the empty tomb, the numerous eyewitnesses, and the extraordinary transformations of people's lives, including the Twelve Apostles, the family of Jesus, and the Apostle Paul. But just as Abraham told the rich man, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Luke 16.31 The Jews of Jesus' day had heard his teaching. They saw the signs that he performed. They heard the clear testimony of those who were eyewitnesses to his resurrection but they persisted in their unbelief. The majority of the people in the world today, both Jew and Gentile, also reject testimony of the scriptures concerning the truth of Christ's resurrection. How will you respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ? We read in 1 Corinthians fifteen three through 4 that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This glorious gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ has two important aspects. First, we have a loving Savior who loved us so much he was willing to give himself on the cross of Calvary as an offering for our sins. Second, we have a living Savior who after three days rose from the dead in victory and triumph over sin and death. This wonderful Savior, based on his finished work of redemption, offers the gift of eternal life to all who will believe in him. The proof of the Christ and his powerful resurrection is evident in the scriptures. Don't follow the world in their persistent unbelief. Hear the word of God. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved from your sins. Will you trust him as your Savior? To do so is to have life and joy and peace and hope. I want to thank all of you for joining us today. I hope that this set of devotionals and worship songs will help you throughout your daily life and help you in your studies and also spread the Word of God to uh, people who have not had the fortune of hearing it yet. And Before we leave today, I'd like to have one last song, and I think it's very fitting for all of us to finish out today with singing Amazing Grace. Again, I want to thank you all for taking time out of your day to spend it with us and focusing on our Lord. If you would like to learn more about us at Grace Bible Church, you can visit our website at www.gracebiblechurch-fw.com. There you can find all sorts of resources to help you with your studies and also to keep you up to date on the church during this COVID-19 pandemic. I encourage you to visit www.youtube.com and search for Grace Bible Church Fort Worth. We have an entire channel dedicated to our video lessons of the Sunday morning services, along with numerous years of our annual Bible conference as well. We're still releasing new lessons each week during this time of quarantine, so locate us and subscribe to receive alerts when new videos are released. You can also find us on Facebook. Search for Grace Bible Church FW for the church's page and 1450 Podcast to locate our podcast page. There you can keep up to date on services, new videos released, and our verse of the week. You can find links to all our online resources at our SoundCloud page. Visit us at www.soundcloud.com Church gracebiblechurchfw to find our main page and like and follow us there. From all of us at Grace Bible Church, we thank you and we wish you a very happy Easter with all of your families. May the Lord bless you.